This episode of the APA podcast is brought to you by Northeastern University's School of Public Policy and Urban Affairs. Make an impact in your community and on your career. Northeastern University's School of Public Policy and Urban Affairs trains future and current leaders, policymakers, researchers, and citizens to better address critical public issues. Attend a monthly virtual information session to learn more about their suite of graduate programs. Visit northeastern.edu slash policy school to register for an event. This episode of the APA podcast features the February 2015 Tuesdays at APA lecture titled Strengthening Local Capacity for Data-Driven Decision-Making. This talk drew upon lessons from the National Neighborhood Indicators Partnership, NNIP, a collaboration of the Urban Institute and organizations in 35 cities. NNIP partners help local actors use neighborhood data to improve communities through policy, planning, and advocacy. From her experience in NNIP, Catherine Pettit of the Urban Institute discussed the types of information infrastructure needs to make good decisions in a local community, including open government data, integrated data systems, community indicators, and neighborhood data systems. Examples from local partners demonstrated how stakeholders are using local data on health, housing, and education to set priorities and make better decisions, including examples from the Washington and Baltimore areas. For more information about NNIP, visit neighborhoodindicators.org. So um, thanks for coming out today. I am a senior researcher at the Urban Institute, which I'll tell you a little bit about in a bit, and also direct the National Neighborhood Indicators Partnership, which is the branding on the presentation and where a lot of my material is drawn from. Can I just get our people from the government sector? You want to raise your hand? Who's in the room? Government? Uh, private? It's a real mix. And consultants? Nonprofit? Okay, good. So I tried to, um, I had a hard time trimming down this presentation. We'll see how it goes um, because I w wasn't sure how much information to assume from um, anybody. So or what people were interested in. So I just wanted to give you a little background about where I'm um, coming from. Since I'm not a planner, most of my um, uh, thinking has been from my job at Urban Institute. Urban was started um, by President Johnson as in 1968 as a formal evaluator of the War on Poverty program. So he really wanted somebody external to be looking at those programs, and our work is still largely based on original research, both qualitative and quantitative. Um, we really believe in the power of evidence behind the recommendations that we make and in um, public policy getting better through evaluation. Uh, we have about 10 centers. You'll, probably the tax policy center is the most well-known, but we also have justice policy and health policy. and. It's a great place to really look across issues, areas, um, to find solutions that connect together. So NNIP is a collaborative effort. The Urban Institute coordinates the network of organizations in more than 30 cities around the country. And all the partners collect neighborhood data with the express mission of helping others use it. So community groups, um, government agencies, um, nonprofits, funders, so I'm not going to talk a lot about the model today since most of you are local. I'm happy to answer questions about that. But just to give a little taste of it, because 
my examples are drawn from them later. So the, um, our partners are housed, about a third of them are universities, a third are nonprofits, and a third are a mix of others. But they're all locally embedded, trusted organizations. So when they put out a report, people believe the, um, the numbers that come through, that they're not politically motivated. The data is really at the core of the work, and our data has three qualities that they collect. One, it is across topics, so housing, schools, crime, health, trying to get neighborhood data across as many topics as possible. It is um, neighborhood level, obviously. I should have said that to begin with, so people really can relate to that. And it is recurrent, so over time, that we think that the trends matter, and it enables our partners to be really responsive to local needs if the data is already in, in play. So it's, a, it's more efficient and like a one-stop shop to come and get all the information you need about the neighborhood. And I wanted to give um, a shout out, but behind institutions, which sounds so impersonal, like these are the people who um, that have given me the examples today. They're really, I mean, the mix of skills, I think, that, it, that are needed, um, and then I'll try to talk about the rest of the day um, tonight, about you need political skills, you need the technical data skills, you need uh, communication skills. So it really is a mix of, um, uh, a mix of capacities that people develop either um, on the fly, and normally it's all wrapped up in one person too, since they don't, um, these are not usually large organizations. And this always, because I couldn't decide what to cut today, everything is pretty much a bird's eye view. I'm going to zoom past some things. There are luckily two free books um, that came out in the fall that are available that go into more depth. Um, the one on the left is a free ebook, and that really it's um, funded by MacArthur, and so you can thank them for the free part. And it really reviews like the last 20 years, so more of a historical perspective, and it has more of an academic bent. There's a methodological chapter, and the second one is um, we did with the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, and it has short essays on current topics, so more about looking forward than looking backward. So. Both of those are available. I forgot to say that I have um, I had a handout that's up there that has a whole bunch of links and links to these books and many other things that I'll refer to today. So this is my um, framework. I, and on your, I'd love to hear if this makes sense to people, other people than in my head um, about uh, you know what does it take to get from the raw data to actual using the information, which I'm, uh, that's my baseline assumption, is that all of you are, are um, interested in how to, how to make that happen in your own work or your own community. So there is, um, and there's a lot of emphasis, I think, on the, on the first part, the data, the getting the data part, and there is a lot of data. So I have lots of people come up to me and say, oh, it must be so easy now. There's so much data, right? And it actually makes it harder because you have to, find the data, the relevant data that you need, um, and just dumping a bunch of data on people actually never gets anything done. So we're trying to, um, I'll talk some about that because I do love data, so um, uh, intrinsically, but um, obviously the motivation is to get it used for most of our partners. So I'll talk a little bit about the data, but, uh, and the enhance, new enhancements and sort of new developments on data, what I think is on the cutting edge, um, and then I'll give some examples to talk through the interpretation and communication and action part from three of our partners. 
So let's start with the collecting the data. Oop, this all shifted a little bit with the PDF. Well, this is probably what you're most familiar with, administrative data, so property records, school records. Um, they may be better or worse quality. They may be better or worse documented. Um, this is uh, from the home mortgage data set um, up top, um, which is a meaningless row of zeros and ones. And the other one is at least labeled from our, from our partner in Cleveland. I think the other link that I, um, that I gave you, to you on the handout is a link to the Obama chapter of the budget. He has a whole chapter on administrative data. There's a lot of emphasis on using this data um, more effectively and, and more, and more um, for evaluation, for program planning. Um, so he has both a review of where this is already happening in the government and where he would like it to happen and to fund it. So it's a really useful summary of where the administrative data is, and that's on the, that is on the handout. So the other phrases that are floating around in, um, uh, in the news lately is around open data. And this can mean a lot of things to a lot of people, depending on who you're talking to. So if some of it is around um, advocacy and principles, that it's government property that we pay for as taxpayers, um, and that we deserve to have back and FOIA processes and things like that. Um, others of it more concretely is the portals and many of DC and other governments around the, um, around the region have government data portals. Um, and then finally are the policies to advocate around um, open data, which are, um, I think, increasingly spreading across the country along with um, the advocacy of groups like Sunlight Foundation or, uh, or others. So I got into open data a few years ago at a conference um, where I was completely bewildered by the people talking. And most of it was around these last three, around transparency, around um, civic engagement, around um, developing apps and new businesses that were, that were involved. But I think where really, um, where my interest lies and I think where even the original um, hackathon folks are, um, are really about this could help run government better. This could be actually used in community decision making um, in addition to you know, figuring out how best to pick up the garbage. So the, um, trying to move it up a level from, oh good, we have you know, a zillion data sets to um, what is, is it actually really relevant information? Is it the right information for the questions that we have as researchers, as planners, or as, or as just residents? And I think our, the, DC is a good example because our data portal feeds the performance management system, Track DC, so it's all connected. So it's um, actually being used inside the government um, as well as being ava make available to the external partners too. So I think, as I mentioned, I think that we're really moving beyond the, um, well, there are still a lot of people that will tell you as a metric that they have, um, you know, 10,000 data sets up there or something like that. But uh, there are a lot of people thinking more about what is the theory behind, what is the worth, what is the value behind putting these um, pieces up. So we did a study with our local partners of how they were using open data to move a community change agenda. Um, that's the one on the left. There's a great woman, Joy Bonagoro, who's the chief data officer in San Francisco. And she, I think, has the best published um, 
really thinking about how data improves government and is developing performance metrics um, that, are, that are related to youth that I think will be really important to the field. So she's a great person to look up. And then the Code for America book around um, Beyond Transparency has a bunch of little essays where you can, luminaries from the field, give some sense of where the, um, of, you know, of what they're thinking about and they're different, whether it's predictive analytics or um, around civic engagement or other pieces pieces of the open data. So those are all good things to look at, look at if you're interested in open data. I also have a link on the handout to the open data handbook if you're from government and are interested in this. Um, the Open Knowledge Foundation has a really great sort of step-by-step of how to implement open data. So those were um, government data, so official official data. Um, there is, um, for a long time, people have com- collected community data and um, my favorite maps are from Hull House, where they went through with colored pencils and mapped their whole neighborhood. So this has been this is not a new idea that communities are collecting data um, to make decisions, but obviously technology has made it a lot easier. So this is an example from a Code for America spinoff, local data, and they also are um, planners, um, community development people that saw the need to cl- uh, have an easier format to both um, develop the surveys and to collect and display the data. So that makes things a lot easier. The other, I think there's a lot of really original thinking. Um, I went to a presentation on, from the EPA about how they're combining citizen science data along with formal data. So citizen science data, which might be less official, but very current and very localized with satellite data that might be um, uh, very accurate, but you know, six months old or from a higher level, um, and showing those, how to juxtapose, juxtapose those pieces of information so that the user can um, judge them both and how they're working. So I think this will be as people are crowdsourcing information and um, uh, you have uh, sensors tracking air pollution and things like that, that this will become more and more of a resource for us. And finally, um, designed data. So there's big um, uh, official data sets like the American Community Survey um, from the federal government, but also there's still a lot of community um, surveys. This is a local one from our partner in New Haven. And there's really no other way. We do a lot of survey work in our evaluation work to get, you know, what are people thinking? So why are they moving? How, what do they think of their neighborhood? Do they um, think this is a good place to raise kids? Sort of all, those, all of those soft pieces that are so important to figuring out um, how a community is doing and how well it's serving its residents. And there's still no way to do it except um, a survey to really get that rigorous answer. So we're through the data crunching part. Are there questions? Yeah. Sure. Um, uh, An you example. mean the administrative data, or you you gave a whole set of different things. And yep. um, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not sure what oh, some good examples example. would be of. Simple examples of say sure. what open data is versus closed data or whatever. Oh, yeah. um, closed data, for example, we have all of the student level records for the District of Columbia public school system. So 
children's data is protected by federal law. We are not going to publish the identities of those students and their performance and absenteeism and where they live and those kinds of things. So we use those to create indicators that I'll show in a minute. But that data would be protected. Um, so um, used for analysis or evaluation or for um, uh, teacher quality indicators or things like that. Um, I think open data, the most, um, the most prominent open data is usually crime, uh, reported crime. So if you look, there's a live feed on DC about, I think it's every day, but as crime comes in, it is published on the open data portal or the 311 calls. Like if you, um, you know, somebody is, has an abandoned car or there's trash outside or a broken street light or things like that, um, that's usually on the open data side. Um, that's um, that's there. The community survey side, I guess the you know I think obviously the confidential data is um, the original survey data, but there's a lot of like micro data that has that's public for the, the American Community Survey has a public version of the micro data um, that people can use too. Does that give a sense of it? So those are the um, inputs, and then. So we've been spending a lot of time, um, we have moved from this administrative data, and the original NNIP model was you collect the crime data, and you make crime indicators, and you collect the student data, and you make student indicators, and you collect the property sales data, and you get housing indicators. Um, and then you look at that across, the aggregates across neighborhoods. The integrated data system movement is about linking those records. So for a particular child, you can um, link you know, Medicaid, juvenile justice, and absenteeism records um, so that people can really look across programs. Um, and this is, uh, some of them are focused on kids, a lot of them are focused on kids, but some on, some on adults. Um, to look at, to, um, the original motivation was to really see how these systems are working together. So um, how can the community clinic connect with the schools in a, in a more productive way. Um, the, it's built on data sharing agreements. These are obviously really um, sophisticated, both the matching and the protections that are there. Um, the, they can be used for case management. So for example, in Allegheny County, um, when a uh, teacher can look at a student's record and see that they have a human services case manager and have that case manager and the number on the screen so that if the child is in trouble or needs help, they can call the right person and connect that service. Others of it is more um, analytic. We have people that are looking at um, uh, the factors related to absenteeism, community factors related to absenteeism. How is housing quality related to that? Which I'll um, oops, show you an example in a second. So this is an example of the types of things that you could do with integrated data systems. Um, this is an example from our Rhode Island partner, the Providence Plan. They have an amazing integrated data set. Um, and this is showing, um, they, are, they also have a great process. These are data stories, and there's uh, dozens of them if you'd like to see them. Um, they have a process where they develop these with the agencies and the service providers to really make sure that they get the interpretation um, clear um, and they're using the data correctly um, on the connections. So this example um, talks about 
the, on this side is the percent of kindergarten, kindergartners who are absent more than 10 days in school. I don't know, there was a radio piece this morning on kindergarten absenteeism, if you were listening. Um, and then alongside this is the le blood le lead levels of the child. So they have lead testing for the individual children, and they have their um, absenteeism record in kindergarten. And you can see that as, you, um, as with the kids that are tested with high lead, which is really associated with poor housing conditions, very linked to asthma, which is one of the primary causes for young kids um, being absent. Um, so this was showing um, the public health folks. So this is both connecting the public health folks that are worried about lead, the housing people that are worried about housing conditions and giving out, um, they have lead abatement uh, programs to help landlords um, improve the quality of their housing, and the kindergarten teachers who are worried about the, the kids being in school to actually learn. So it's showing these linkages, um, and sometimes it works out this way. In other neighborhoods, if you do this by neighborhood, um, and there are some places where asthma is a big driver, and there are other places where it's not. It might be transportation, let's say, if the kids live far away or other pieces. So you can start to tease out the different causes. We um, have been cataloging all of the integrated data systems that are developing in the country, um, and there's a lot of different organizations working on this. So this is another, um, another set of resources for you. Forgot to say at the top of the handout, there's a link to the presentation is posted already, so you can grab it with all these links. Oops, was I supposed to say something else? So this is the more um, more traditional bread and butter. Because I should have started with the easier one. Um, then, um, <laughs> in hindsight, the these are neighborhood indicators. So if you move from the crime, you know, there is a robbery at this address at this time to a what is the crime rate for the neighborhood, um, that that is the important things that people want to see. And I think people, you probably, a bunch of planners in the room, you know, people come alive when they see a map. They want to look at their neighborhood. They want to talk about why this is more than that. that really, it's, it's so much more powerful than a table, um, even though sometimes a table seems much clearer to me um, with more information. So the, the other case is that these priority issues really vary across neighborhoods. So um, looking at city averages for teen pregnancy is not going to help you figure out what to do about teen pregnancy, I think. Um, we really need to figure out the really neighborhood level, community level solutions. Some of these are just, um, and I'll show you the one for DC later, are just um, profiles, just um, a list of sort of interesting characteristics that you can look up. And I have a, a table of those for the country. Um, others are community indicators projects. So these are more formal projects. This is an example from our partner in Baltimore, Vital Signs. This has been going on for 15 years. They have a community process to select the indicators and review them um, periodically. Like every two or three years, they review the indicators. Um, they have a release event where they discuss um, how are things going across different neighborhoods, are things going um, higher or lower. It's really faint here, but it's um, high school completion rate, the number of businesses that are arts related per thousand residents. So it's their, their community cares project really is trying to embrace a whole bunch of values that they um, and the community process has come up with.
So um, we're to the first example. Are there other questions about the integrated data systems or the indicators before I go on? Happy to answer questions after, too. So on this last pieces of the um, visualizing, communicating, getting, uh, using the data directly, I couldn't figure out a way to cleanly com um, pull those apart in my examples. So um, those last two boxes are going to be combined in the three examples I have for you today um, from Detroit and Austin and um, Washington, D.C. So our partner in Detroit is Data Driven Detroit. And um, I am sure everyone has seen New York Times articles and 60 Minutes and everything on um, show, uh, showing the vacant, pro vacant housing, uh, miles and miles of vacant housing in Detroit. And Dan Gilbert, who is the um, owner of Quicken, uh, the Quicken Empire, um, started uh, organizing this uh, Detroit Blight Removal Task Force. I always forget the formal name pulling in both nonprofit, um, public agencies, really thinking about how are we going to start to tackle this problem rather than um, just bemoaning all of, the, um, uh, all of the vacant land. So our partner um, there is Data Driven Detroit, which is a nonprofit. Um, they partnered with a group called Loveland Technology, so a, tech, a young tech startup. And in November um, 2013, they started a physical survey to collect information on all 380,000 pieces of property in Detroit. So I have these crazy statistics. So they really want, they wanted to complete a comprehensive database and figure out where they were so they could start to figure out the solutions to the problem. So over 10 weeks, this is even in winter, so there was a lot of snow, 150 resident surveyors and volunteer drivers documented property conditions. So um, whether it was vacant or not, whether um, it was open to the air, dangerous or not, um, whether there was dumping, whether there was fire damage, a whole set of questions that the volunteers and data collectors answered for each property, and they took a photo. And all of this was live streamed to Command and Control, which if you look at their Facebook page, they had all of the quality control people um, uh, featured, which is nice, given those people were just in the back office. So all, every entry was quality controlled, uh, reviewed at the end of the day um, uh, by the people back in, at the day-driven Detroit offices um, to collect this to collect this information. So in the end, um, the aggregate numbers, which are stunning to being in DC, uh, there's 84,000 structures and vacant lots that they need to address um, in Detroit, 40,000 blighted structures that should just be demolished. Um, 38,000 more that had several indicators that need to be evaluated, and about 6,000 vacant lots that had um, a lot of dumping that needed to be cleared. So this is a pretty massive problem, um, but they had a really, they want to be really transparent about where things are, so they have this uh, public website that you can visit, and they have both parcel data that you can drill down into the neighborhood, and also the aggregate indicators. So if you want to see if your neighborhood is 20% vacant versus 50% um, or wherever you are, or what kind of structure conditions that you have. Um, so this is a really remarkable, um, it's a remarkable data collection process um, and, and a little daunting as a community problem especially when your city is broke. So um, you start with a bankrupt city and limited resources, some federal government, some philanthropic, 
Um, so the next step was to really, and I shouldn't say, it was really baked into the process, sort of how will this data get used? Um, and our partners created a couple of indexes. The first one was where can we impact the most people? So it was density, um, the per- number of kids. They're really worried about kids in this vacant land. Um, I'm trying to remember the other ones. Homeowners, I forget. This was more of an impact index on the left-hand side. And the right-hand side is, um, was measuring uh, vulnerability. So it included foreclosures and the rate of decline in property condition over the past three years. So how fast was a property, a neighborhood declining as to how, how urgent was it that we needed to intervene in these neighborhoods? So they overlaid these two indices to get a set of places to start. So uh, the city will not be able to knock down 40,000 properties anytime soon, but they want to figure out where is the where can we do the most with the money that we have now and where can we take care of the most residents and address their um, address their needs. So you know, as I said, people have been collecting this a long time. There's a lot of, prop- I have 100 property survey examples with either paper and pencil or ArcGIS, ArcPads or um, iPads. The, um, another amazing part of this project is they have built in a process to update the data. So there's an app called Blexting, um, which you can down- download. Um, and you, there's a training program, uh, PowerPoint, that shows you like what's a little dumping versus a lot of dumping, if you know some of these um, uh, uh, community condition trainings. Um, what does vacant look like? What does residential look like? Um, so you, go, you can take the training and register online. Um, any of us can register. And you can um, take pictures of your you know, the house next to you, um, and update, like somebody moved in or somebody's renovating it. Or, and this also goes through the quali- same quality control process that the original data went through. So in these focused neighborhoods, um, especially the neighborhoods that are organized, they have, like the CDCs pretty much have been trained and they um, ha- obviously take a little less review because they're um, keeping up on their neighbors. Any, but any but individual can also do this and that data will be collected also. So the idea that this is becoming live data, it's obviously not uniformly updated, but it is the best feedback loop that I've seen so far on this kind of project. So it's really exciting. Um, It's exciting to see. And it's exciting to see that the city could actually monitor progress also. So as opposed to here's the desolation that we measured, um, and we can never actually talk about how we're making progress. Um, this, this enables them to do that in a couple of ways that I'll show you in a minute. Yeah? Um, somebody help. Well, I mean, I guess it is a text. I think it's SMS. Um, you know, I think. Blight? There we go. Blight and texting. There we go. Sorry. I should have. Blight plus texting. Thank you. Um, so the, I think, you know, who is going to use this data and how are they going to move forward with this um, community problem? So uh, the city has put up a dashboard. You can see they have sort of a long way to go to 40,000. Um, but they're uh, trying to focus on transparency and marking progress about the interventions that they are, um, they are making and that this is updated weekly. So the, um, the other use, so we have 
the sort of high-level official city use. And neighborhoods are also using this data. So they um, downloaded the data to use to do their own map, actually, with their own um, some of their own in indicators layered on. Um, this is the Hope Village Initiative. It's a 100-block area in Detroit. Um, and this is Gerald Harris. He's building the first LEED-certified house in the neighborhood. That's the house he's showing behind there. Um, so they used the Motor City mapping as their base layer and then had some other things that they wanted to add onto it. And they're using the data to plan for a July event where they're um, having a sort of a renovation, clean the lots, um, big community action weekend. Um, and then with the Blexting uh, uh, mechanism, they'll be able to then report, like, I cleaned this lot, here's the new photo, here's the update, and move forward. So the community groups can also participate in this and really use this to plan their action and to organize their community around improvements. So the um, other question, other questions about Detroit, other than the Blex thing, which I now know, I'll put that in my notes. Yeah, and that's done a lot of press, obviously, too. So there's a lot of other materials on that. Um, the next example is from Austin. Our partner there is Children's Optimal Health. So it's a small nonprofit, maybe five or six people, that focus on kids. So they have a really um, deliberate set of principles on approaching data. So they um, came out of a federal grant, actually, um, around substance abuse prevention, um, was originally what funded their organization. So they had a collection of schools and healthcare providers and other community service providers that really um, serve as their advisory board. And they focus on using multiple sources to understand the problem. Um, and also the good things about the neighborhoods as well as the bad things um, that they're careful to do in any issue area that they take on. They're, they're the most honest people I've ever seen about like, this data is terrible. So, um, uh, so they'll show a map and they're like, this does not catch you know, all of these other factors that we know are there. And it's a way for them to invite the stakeholders, um, including parents and teachers and, um, and doctors, um, in. So please help us fill in. Tell us where this data falls short. Tell us what are the drivers that we're missing from the quantitative data. So it's a pretty powerful process that they've used on um, child injury. And I'll, I'll talk about the, um, I'll show you the examples on. So this is um, an example. Uh, in Texas, amazingly, they all the students get their um, body mass index and their cardiovascular health measured. So they have amazing um, information about the neighborhoods where um, where the kids are on the health indicators. And this is where the kids live. Um, so this is the kind of data that would be closed, private, commercial. I mean, sorry. Um, uh, confidential data um, until it, so this is in a, just a hotspot map where you can't identify individual kids. So they have, um, they have in, in the Strengthening Communities book, I have pictures of the full city map that you can see, but this uh, zooms down into the Dove Springs neighborhood. Um, and on the right-hand side is the percent of middle school kids who are overweight and obese. Um, and I, I forget, I think, yeah, the red is over 70%. So the, um, the yellow is more than 50%, I think. So it's a really big problem um, for this particular neighborhood. 
And then on the other side, they have the health and food landscape. So fast foods, groceries, uh, where is the open space, the basketball court, you can see that places. And there, um, there were very few um, fresh food uh, outlets near this neighborhood, but there was actually a lot of open space. So one question definitely is, well, it seems like they have, um, at least on this map, uh, opportunities for physical, um, uh, for physical activity, but um, there might be barriers that, they, that we don't see. So some of those um, qualitative questions that we have. So the, um, the process they have, they start months in advance with organizing, and then they have a big community summit to unveil their, their maps. They're big believers in maps. Um, they have a rule, leave your title at the door. So they invite um, uh, parents and teachers and nonprofits and all those folks that I mentioned before. You see the um, EMT guy in the, um, up in the corner to talk. Um, they have a really interesting... Uh, it's an interesting community format. They have an expert, right, expert, um, a doctor, a medical person, um, somebody who's official, and then they have a community panel. So for their um, example on when they were working on infant and maternal health care, they had a group of um, Latino women who had had bad experiences with the health care system in their neighborhood and were talking about why they chose not to have prenatal care while they were pregnant. So, uh, you know, more of the community perspective. And then they break out into small groups to talk about um, some directed questions that they provide. So, you know, this is, this is not, they're not going to solve kid obesity in a day at the program. But it's getting people to, one, have a common understanding of what the problem is. So, yes, child obesity is a problem, which, um, and bring that to the forefront. Um, it also starts to talk about what are the, um, you know, what are the causes? Is it that, you know, mom has three jobs and hasn't been, you know, doesn't make dinner and goes and picks up McDonald's? Is that the problem? Is the problem that the park is really a drug market? Is that the problem? Um, is the problem that the school canceled PE and they don't do recess anymore? Um, so really, to talk about these issues and with the people who are affected. So they have made a lot of progress. Um, uh, through, they've been working on this issue for, I think, yeah, six or seven years now as they were uh, um, from the time they started. And they are now working, actually, moving out into the suburbs where a lot of the Latino immigrants have moved as Austin has gotten um, hipper and weirder and more expensive. Um, so they have found that the process is just as valid um, outside of the city as in, although most of my examples are in the city, one, one part of this was to really focus on public resources. So what are the neighborhoods that need new sidewalks? Or what are the neighborhoods that need community policing? So the, the city agencies being in the room was, um, helped them um, start to address this question. The school board also took it as a, um, more explicit that the kids need to be healthy to be able to learn. And that was also part of their mission, not just um, test scores um, or graduation rates. So that is now um, one of their formal goals and on the performance measures that the school tracks over time. It uh, emphasized the need for physical education and health education and recess and those kinds of things that often can get cut out as people um, uh, look and are more and more concerned with um, uh, testing and, and other academic achievements. So it really kept that on the forefront of the need to do that too. And there's still you know, still working. 
So um, my last example um, is from home. Um, the neighborhood info DC, uh, we are the local NIP partner um, for the Washington DC area. It's led by Peter Tatian. If you um, are interested, I can connect you with him. And like most NNIP partners, their focus is to provide uh, community-based organizations and residents with local data and analysis to improve the quality of life in their neighborhood. So this is um, from the neighborhood indicators. I mentioned that some are profiles. This is a dated design, but there's great data in underneath it, I promise. Um, the, it has locally relevant geographies, so wards, um, our community planning areas, um, census tracts, if that means something to people um, that you can um, drill down on. And you can also just download spreadsheets of data. And this covers TANF, um, housing, uh, vital statistics, a whole bunch of some census data, some, a whole bunch of data across topics. We've been working on local housing policy issues for about 20 years. Um, uh, and the there was a report um, that was released in the last summer that really focused on a regional f picture of the housing issues, trying to tie the region together to have this conversation about affordable housing, rather than it being a problem of Prince George's County or DC or Fairfax or uh, the individual jurisdictions. And it was funded by the Community Foundation and the KFRIX Foundation that wanted people to have a bigger picture. So there's a few unique things about the study that made it different than, um, than ones we had done in the past. One was that it covered the whole housing continuum. So it, it covered from homelessness to affordable homeownership. And usually there's homelessness people, and there's homeownership people, and there's subsidized rental people. And, they, and um, so it really put all of this information in one place. The next um, part that was different for us was to really drill down and get jurisdiction level data to compare how different places were doing um, and how their um, policies and investments were matching their conditions. So to try to collect as much as possible on um, the, the programmatics, the response side, as well as the indicator side, we're, we're more comfortable on the indicator side normally. Um, and then finally, that it examined how these policies and programs across both the public and the philanthropic sector. So there was a lot of concern. Um, uh, the numbers are in the report. But the Fannie Mae was a, the major funder for affordable housing in, DC, in the Washington area. Um, and then the foundation closed, and they stopped giving. So it's going to be a big blow. I think a 40%, if I remember right, of the money is now gone. That used to be um, invested into housing production um, and operating funds. So they. They thought that the region really needed to plan for this. So here's um, uh, some regional data. Um, the, um, so uh, extremely low income household is 30% of the median area income. So it's about $31,000 for a family of four. And they can afford rent that's about $800 a month. So they face really extreme competition for these units. So of all the units, there's 15% of the units in the whole region that extremely low income people can afford, but 40% of those are um, lived in by higher income people. So uh, there is lower, lower cost housing that higher income people are in, so it's no longer available for the most, you know, it obviously doesn't work on like a matchmaking service. 
So in the end, there's about a 90,000 uh, unit gap in affordable housing, which is a little opposite of the 80,000 Detroit number. Very similar numbers, but for different, different problems that are here. So the, you can see that no jurisdiction had enough, um, and that uh, DC and Montgomery and Prince George's County were, um, were, had the biggest gaps that were there. And there's a uh, whole lot of information I won't go through, but um, the link is on the handout. So we do some regional. Those are sort of big scans. What's the, there was a community um, forum, and there's conversations going on still about how to address things. Um, we also do some really hands-on work in the District of Columbia. Um, the Preservation Network is a coalition of organizations that are committed to preserving affordable housing in the district. And they have two strategies that they've agreed on. Um, one is a preservation plan for D.C. Um, that really takes on the wisdom of all of the members. And then the second one is to act monitor, more detailed monitor the projects, that um, uh, the individual housing projects. So the preservation plan was supposed to be released last Tuesday night. It was a beautiful timing. Um, <laughs> I was going to bring it with me and um, have the press release, um, but it got snowed out just like this talk. So it will be published on March 2nd, um, so you can watch out for that. Uh, it covers a bunch of really detailed things for the new Mayor Bowers' administration, both the um, policies that they believe that they should adopt, um, how to prioritize these scarce resources, what buildings should you focus on, uh, criteria, some methods and tools, some financing um, barriers that they see. So it really is um, supposed to be a um, recipe book to hand to the city um, about how we think they should be running the, um, this effort better. And the general consensus is we don't need new policies. We don't need new programs. Um, they need to be run better. They need to be better funded. Um, but we, the D District of Columbia actually has a pretty good set of, of um, policies in place already. So you can um, look for that. So the first step um, is to compile the administrative data. So it was started by the National Low-Income Housing Coalition. And they, they have a national data set that's available of subsidized housing, if you're interested in. But this was um, some special work they had done in DC. And it takes local and federal data, and, which is merged and cleaned up and um, over across a whole bunch of different uh, topic areas you can see up there, and it's now maintained by the Coalition for Nonprofit Housing and Economic Development and, and ourselves in Neighborhood Info DC. And it has all of the things you'd expect, um, name, location, owner, manager, uh, condition, what the subsidy programs are, how big it is, all the sort of basic information that you would want about a, about a property. So uh, historically, for the past 15 years, we've had this really clunky PDF that our poor research assistant has to do every month. Um, and then we bring the pieces of paper to the, um, to the meeting. Uh, in the next you know, six, four to six weeks, we'll have a public portal where all this information will be available for everyone to see. So these are the number of properties um, that fit these criteria, that there's a query system that's there. It is, it's open source, borrowed from uh, the Furman Center, New York City uses a similar, a similar system. So it will be um, a great way that it will be more visible for other people to use. 
uh, when you drill down, um, you get a photo of the building and um, some of those, you can see some of those fields that I mentioned about when the housing is going to expire and the particular um, details about the program and things like that. So just like the Detroit and the Austin examples, you need to have the right people in the room that can do something about the problem. Um, and figuring out who those are and building trust is a, long, um, is a long process. And just as much as the data cleaning um, piece that's, uh, that, that I described before. So at the Preservation Network, it's housing counselors. Um, it's public de uh, private developers. It's public a bunch of different public agencies that don't usually talk to each other in the DC government. Some uh, HUDs there, the federal agency. Nonprofits, um, some uh, researchers like us supporting the data and analysis work. So it's a place around the table that we can, uh, that they can talk to and um, communicate about how to solve this problem. I think that the challenges is that the uh, since the DC housing market is so hot, it's really hard to get ahead of figuring out how to preserve these properties. So they look a year out to the properties that they see where the subsidies are expiring. Um, and uh, begin to share information, like, is the landlord good? Is the manager good? Is the building in crappy shape? Do we know their intention to stay in the program or not? Um, are the, does the tenants have a tenant organization? Sort of all this information that they share, that they know about the building from the CDCs and their local work. And there will be, um, in the website, there is a login so that the network will be able to share this information at a different level than the public, uh, public visible one. So they can start to compile information across, um, across all of their um, experiences. So the next thing is sort of what are you going to do about it? And this gives some, um, one important thing is to, uh, tenant rights are really strong in DC if you know the rules. So just having the tenants know their rights if the, building if they do decide to um, be removed from the subsidy program is an important part that they do for all buildings. But uh, more important, they identify the high priority buildings. So again, scarce resources, uh, stretched nonprofit staff, they can't um, really tackle all the expiring subsidies. They have a set of criteria. Um, is it in a hot neighborhood where they think affordable housing is really scarce? Um, are the tenants organized and ready to buy the property? Um, is it in terrible condition and they feel like it really needs some um, different action? Um, so th uh, the purchase of the building, and then I'll give an example about some of the terminations that they gave. And they, they split up the building. So you know, um, one CDC will take this building in Southeast and another one will worry about the one in Columbia Heights. So they, they um, make sure that they aren't duplicating efforts um, that they would if they weren't be talking around the table um, every month. So I asked for a success story. This is, in the, um, this is a preview of what's in the report for next week. This is the Gregory, the picture that I showed to you before. It's on the border of DC um, and Maryland. It's a building with 124 units. Um, it was uh, very close to being lost. Most of the units were vacant. It was in really poor condition, so it failed its inspection. So this is a very vicious circle. So it fails the government inspection, so therefore they can't pay the voucher payments for the tenants who are living there anymore. So then the tenants now have back rent and can be evicted. So it's this really bad set of um, uh, actions uh, that, that can go downhill very quickly. 
So the Latin um, Latino Economic Development uh, Corporation Center, there we go, began to organize the tenants um, and started to talk with them about, uh, learned that the problem was really around the building manager who wasn't managing very well. Um, there were three city departments, yeah, three city departments all had connections with this building due to the subsidies. So the Housing Finance Agency, the Housing Authority, and the Department of Housing and Community Development all had programs that connected to this building, but, the but they were having, um, they had not been talking to each other about what to do about it. Um, so with the, um, the network brought this to people's attention and the three agencies got together to approach the landlord um, and to get a new manager. Um, they hired uh, the new property manager, um, fixed up the conditions, um, and uh, uh, sold more of the units so that the money started to come in to, to actually um, pay for all of the property improvements, and the property was saved, at least for this year. I think if you looked back on there, I saw it's like spring of 2016, it expires again. But um, for right now, this, this is still um, a building where it's affordable and people can live in the city. There is also unsuccessful efforts that they show, but I thought that was depressing for anything talk. So this is um, our, our NIP website. It will be easier for, uh, if you aren't interested in our partners or the model of how, we, how our partners work, there's an issue area page where you can drill in and see examples from around the country of how um, different places are using neighborhood level data to address different topics. We have a, a weekly Twitter chat, uh, an IP chat on neighborhood indicators. Um, and this week happens to be on a preserving affordable housing run by Peter. Um, uh, it's from on Thursdays from four to five. So you can definitely look that up if you want to interact with more of our partners across the country. So are there questions? Um, if you look at the handout, um, there's a link on the handout, and they're already posted. Thank you. That was a great presentation. Um, do any of the communities or partners that you work with work in rural areas? Most of the examples were from metro areas and neighborhoods. Right. Um, are there any that are working in smaller communities or in rural areas? So I know less about rural areas, although I just talked to somebody. I will do a pitch for um, I run this Urban Nerds Happy Hour where we were talking about rural issues. Um, uh, the Aspen Institute is doing some really great work around um, community foundations and data in rural areas, so um, check them out. I think our partners are, um, we have partners in Des Moines and even in Austin and Indianapolis that quickly get into rural areas that have less, um, uh, we've been talking about what is different about suburban areas even with less nonprofit capacity, um, uh, more, less neighborhood identity, uh, less government capacity often, um, and then the rural areas sort of expands that. You know, I think we've been thinking um, I don't have a good answer around because I feel like the neighborhood indicators, neighborhood is not the same uh, concept. Um, the geography, the spatial answers are really different. I think the organizing around information, um, around uh, affordable housing or around obesity, all the same problems are there. And I think the process of finding the right people, talking about the data, getting a common understanding, uh, figuring out what's the cross-sector drivers behind the problem, 
I think that um, seems to run, ring true even in rural organizing. Um, there's an organization called the Community Indicators Consortium, and that includes some rural, um, uh, some rural pieces too that are there. So, but I, I mean, I'd love your thoughts too about what's um, different or not different um, as you on the organizing action side. Um, in addition to the, you know, the maps look aren't necessarily working and um, <laughs> as you get fewer cases and things like that and maybe transportation, the solutions are certainly going to be a little different as you, um, as you get farther out. But our partners are um, reaching out. Uh, they're, they're getting calls to ask for help from the places that are more, more you know, exurbs on the edge of the metro areas. I think um, the places like, we're working with Utah and Alaska and then there, there's city organizations, so Salt Lake City and Anchorage, but they really see, well, in Alaska particularly, the, um, really the most extreme conditions are in the tribal areas. So they really see themselves as a state data intermediary. So they'll be diving into neighborhoods and doing this sort of uh, you know, monthly table organizing um, in the city that they are based but they see themselves as a resource for the whole state. And Arizona is like that too. So I feel like there's other models for uh, particularly some of the West Coast, um, more spacious areas that, um, that would work too to make sure that I feel like all the communities have same needs about having to figure out where's the data, what's the data to answer my question, all of those pieces. But if you know of rural organizations, I get that question often, so I should, um, I should have a better pat answer. Yeah? Somebody who's sort of involved with uh, planning of an area in the United States. Would we come to you to get data on that area, or is it specifically you, you've just gone to certain areas so far, right? So our partners are just in certain areas. So definitely if there's a local person that's there, I have one of the links on the handout is my list of all the small area data sets that exist for the country. So um, uh, there's about a couple dozen. Um, from uh, mostly federal, but some nonprofit that have um, small area data. So it's not necessarily pre-processed, um, but uh, but it is that's the raw data. Um, the other uh, there's a couple other there's two other websites that are available. Policy Map should have put these on there. Policy Map is one of them, and Community Commons is a second one. So they both have. Um, they have taken many of those data sets that are on my spreadsheet, um, and they have a mapping program. And one policy map has some free things, some uh, for fee things, um, but they do have some discounts, I think, for. And then the community commons has more of a health bent. Policy map has more of a housing bent, um, but and community commons is more of a health perspective. But they are both um, available nationally, and they they process all those data sets or many of the data sets that are in. Um, in those lists um, and would be available for everyone. Great. So if you um, want to sign up for Urban Nerds Happy Hour, we, I think it's the third Wednesday of the month at Lost and Found in Shaw. You can um, send me an email uh, and I can get you on the Google group. Um, or if there's other, uh, other questions afterwards, I'm happy to answer.
Thanks, everyone.